all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nothing spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff, and you still have no talent. It's Sandos in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Friday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, an exciting show because there's a lot to cover. Not just do we recap ETSU men's basketball game on Wednesday, but we got to preview the women's game against Liberty today. Later this afternoon, I'll be jumping on a band going there. Then we'll talk a lot about ETSU men's basketball against UT Martin. We'll have a whole segment dedicated to football. We'll talk to the former quarterback, offense quality control guru, Austin Herrick. Last but not least, I think we have to do it. Bold predictions, baby. Yeah, yeah, bold predictions. Bold predictions. Uh, I've got some great bold predictions coming up. I just want you to know. That's great. That's great. Maybe all three are going to be right this week. Had two last week. That's great. That's great. You sound very enthused. Yeah, I am. You know what's coming. More bold predictions correct for me. More terrible from yourself. That is just such a great way to start Friday, isn't it? It is not. No, okay. It's not. You're, I don't know why you're still glowing. I am. I mean, it's just, just beaming really right weird. Now. Okay. No uh, let's, that, that's, uh, speaking of glowing, how about ETSU men's basketball? Off to a quick start. ETSU picks up the win. And uh, really, again, it was interesting how it went instead of a slow first half and kind of pick things up in the second half. It was really the first half. ETSU ended the first half, I think, on a 21-3 to run. Just held um, – Newberry to five field goals. I mean, just uh, shared the basketball really well. And then in the second half, teams kind of traded buckets a little bit more, but Trey Boyd has clearly proven he likes the the new basket that's on the right where he sits on the bench as opposed to the left. Yeah, your theory is very interesting. I'm, guys sometimes have a favorite spot on the floor. True. Maybe just likes the goal. Maybe Now, these are brand new. I, I cannot harp on this. They are brand new goals top to bottom including the the bracing, the bracketing, the goals themselves, the rims. And so they have been a little tight. And uh, I, I, I'm a little bit of the game with ETSU versus Tennessee on the ladies' side, a little bit, I think, with the exhibition and the men's game so far against Newberry. A lot of shots that are kind of rattling and not going down. I think brand-new rims are just tighter. I don't care how much they loosen them up. So shots, I think, could be a little tougher to hit inside Freedom Hall this year. Will that matter? Will it be a, a situation where maybe ETSU has a little bit extra home court advantage just to get a practice on it, get a shoot on it? That's my theory so far is that Trey Boyd likes one side of the floor over the other. Well, he had 20 points and led the way. Newberry had 11 points in the first half. So Trey Boyd, 20 points on the night. Newberry, 11 points in the first half. You can tell how it went. Steve Forbes post game. On the box and Wolves. That's why we're running motion this year, you know, and we haven't ever run it since I've been here. We've never run motion. I really never run it as a head coach, and it takes time. But what it does is it opens up the floor, and our guys are cutting. And so one thing I was really proud of them for the whole game was how we shared the ball on the offensive end. The ball moved from side to side. Everybody touched it sometimes several times, and we always pretty much got good shots. 
I didn't think we did a good job converting in transition on offense. And we're a fast, athletic team. We've got to do a better job of sharing it in transition. I thought too many times we just put our head down and went to the hole in transition, trying to make a play when really the, there was another pass to be made. But we'll, that's what tape's for, and we'll get better at that. So a couple different things on that bite, which is why I included it. That question, he was answering your statement about having finishers this year. And he says, that's why we're running motion. And firstly, I would love to know your take early on on that offense. But secondly, he hit on another point that you've kind of harped on over the last two years, that finishing at the rim and in transition doing a better job of finishing hasn't always been there, an area they're looking to improve. And still looking to improve. Uh, I, the big thing is watching the motion because there's not necessarily a post player. And you think, well, you got Lucas Casson, you got Octavian Corley at the five, you're looking at a couple different fours and Jerome Rodriguez, Fonnie Patterson, and when you get Joe Hughley back, Charlie Weber. I mean, you just expect, well, okay, you know, you're so used to seeing two guys inside because of just the way that the Bucks can get to the rim, their athleticism, things that they can do with the shooters are trying to spread the floor so that those guys have lanes and there's not, you know, extra help inside. And I think that's really the big thing. And when you've got guys that can get to the rim, they can get buckets, that helps then. Eventually, you can run some screens to where Jeremy Rodriguez got a chance to work one-on-one late in the game. He was able to get some scores inside. And then you open up shooting lanes, right? Trey Boyd, Patrick Good, even with Davian Williamson early on this year, Isaiah Tisdale. The big thing I like about the offense is when they move the basketball and don't dribble a lot as opposed to set plays where you could have one guy dribbling a lot from one side of the floor, try to get a screen, dribble over, throw, move, move, pass, 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 pass. They found a lot of open looks. So not only are they able to create lanes in which Bo Hodges and Isaiah Tisdale and others can get to the rim, they've been able to create good-looking shots, clean looks for shooters just by sharing the basketball. Coach Twin Towers. We haven't done it, but that doesn't say we, that we can't. Tonight is a good example of our team's versatility. We played a team that ran dribble drive, and their post players, could, they weren't really post players. They were drivers, and they played out on the floor. And so Octavian and Jerome and Luke did it, but we also went small a lot and played Vani at the four and Jerome at the five. We had Tisdale at the four late. I don't care. I, we're just playing to win. We're not stuck. Just playing one way. Oh, we got to play big ball all the time. You know, that's nice, but that doesn't always work, especially against smaller teams. And at the mid-major level, you're going to see a lot of teams like that, teams in our league like that. So I was pleased with the versatility of our guys, you know, especially Bonnie Patterson, Bo Hodges, Isaiah Tisdale, have showing their versatility playing inside and out. Well, Coach is right. At the beginning of that bite, the Twin Towers, who he was referring to, are Octavian Corley and Lucas Gusson. I would love to see the two seven-footers in the game at the same time. Now, and there could be a situation, especially you look at a game, Kansas, you look at LSU, you look at teams that really got some, some big – think about this. What if it's late in the game and it's just a couple of points separating, right, uh, you know, and they've and they got post players. You're thinking, okay, well, we got two shot blockers in there. Somebody gets to the rim. we got two shot blockers. You had Vonnie Patterson who can guard about, you know, the, the two through four position. you got Bo Hodges who can guard one through four. Then you throw Tisdale in there. you got three just hawking defenders on the perimeter and two big guys inside. I mean, I think uh, that would be outstanding. Now, I, I don't think you can go 30 minutes with that crew, but I certainly think that you, you get in situational. And that's the one thing I like about – he talked about versatility. There's a lot of different situations that teams just can't handle, but the way they built this particular roster, 
I mean, we saw where Bo Hodges was the five last night at Tisdale some point. Tisdale played the four. Yeah. I, I love just, that. Your point guard playing the four. I mean, so you look at all the different things they can do. I mean, they could even go, honestly, really big and put Vonnie Patterson. You know, you could put Bo Hodges at the two, Patterson at the three. You could still leave, let's say, Rodriguez at the four and neither one of the Twin Towers at the five. And then Davian Williamson, who's still a fairly tall guy, about 6'2", or even Trey Boyd at 6'4". I mean, you could easily go very big. You go small. I, I love it, and I love the fact that it's not really just Bo Hodges now is required to guard the best player no matter where he's at. Bonnie Patterson, shocking to me how great he is defensively early on. And then Isaiah Tisdale has just wanted to make it his life mission to become the best defense player. Coach. It's interesting how recruiting works. One of my friends from Drake, actually, they signed a kid off their team, and he went to watch him play one night. Matt Woodley's from Iowa, like me. Called me up. He said, hey, I saw one of your type of guys tonight. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I saw one of them JYDs you like to coach. I said, oh, yeah, who is he? He told me, Bonnie Patterson. Brooks went up there the next day, and we started recruiting him and got him. And he had a lot of offers. He's kind of like Bo. You know, he can play in multiple positions. He can defend on the floor. He can defend in the post. He's tough, and he'll make some shots. So uh, he's doing the things that I want. I was hoping he could do when we signed him couple of things from that but that's on Vonnie Patterson you already were talking about how you love him so far and I love that coach Forbes is so good at recruiting he's got people from other programs doing recruiting for him I mean he constantly has brought in big name and successful classes wherever he's been and he even said one of the bites post game or it might have been pregame to you look we're gonna get players it's not a deal of getting players it was about filling the bus getting a good coaching staff it was Bruce Trambarger asking about the coaching staff with Jason Shea and Brooke Savage and the continuity there and he said ah, we're gonna get players it's an afterthought to him and I get why when he's got people from other programs sending them guys there are always coaches that have strengths and I'm not saying that that certain coaches don't coach or recruit or do it all but to build a good staff there's always guys that have either recruiting ties or X's and O's or whatever it may be but Coach Forbes's M.O. has always been recruiting. That is what he was known as. That's why Bruce Pearl got him. That's why Billy Gillespie got him. Greg Marshall got him. Because he can recruit. He can relate. He can get the guys to get to campus. From there, I think Coach obviously has been able to work with players. He won't be able to hold a job, too, right? But then you add the X's and O's guy that was Bruce Pearl's right-hand man in Jason Shea. And now he's the right-hand man X's and O's for um, – uh, Coach Steve Forbes. I mean, you look at that. You look at Savage. He can recruit. Tries to work there. B.J. Mackey, one of the greatest scores um, in the history of the SEC. All-time lead scorer at his school. All-American. I don't know, 15, 19-year career. They all have different things. But Coach Forbes is so well-known on the recruiting tour. He has been around. He's got people. It is interesting to me how it works sometimes. And there are times that that's happened in other sports where I've talked to coaches and they said, well, actually, you know, so-and-so said, hey, there's this guy. I don't have a spot for him. It's kind of late in the game. You might want to give him a look, see whatever. So you don't know exactly how that goes. But Vonnie Patterson, I thought, was a, was a tremendous get. What I love is that a guy could see a guy, a junkyard dog, if you will, the old JYD, saw a guy that was like the way this guy plays, the way he fights, the way that, that says Steve Forbes. To me, that's tremendous. It's not just, hey, there's a good player. Maybe you guys want to look at him. It's, hey, I've got the exact guy you're looking for where you're at right now to go play for you. That's what was amazing to me about that bite. Let's transition to UT Martin on Saturday, 8 o'clock. After ETSU football, you'll have the call of Western Carolina and the Bucks. 3.30 is kickoff. 2 o'clock is pregame. 90-minute pregame, of course. K-12 
Catamounts and ETSU Blue Ridge border battle before I launch into what I have on UT Martin and just how intimidating they can be offensively, but maybe not so much defensively. Your thoughts on UT Martin? Well, the one thing I, I think the two things that jump out at you, one is just how tremendous Quentin Dove is. We saw that last year. He had a good game against the School of Pharmacy of St. Louis or some. Thing that sounds St. fake. St. Louis uh, College of Pharmacy, which I was uh, shocked when I first heard they had a basketball program. Yeah, it doesn't I w- seem like they're real high. It just, uh, I, I, yes, I was. I, I kind of felt like it was one of those where you could do back in the day where it was uh, you could play these exhibition games against former pros, former whatever. And I just felt like there was a bunch of guys who used to play college basketball that are pharmacists that were going to play. But apparently, it's actual school. I, I was throwing off. They're Division One too. If I know I remember it, right. it is. It is amazing. Did not know they even exi- until this game. Yeah. I've done learned more about him. But Quentin Dove picked up where he left off last year. He could score. I think the other big thing, and, and be curious to see just because the pedigree of Parker Stewart, who was Anthony Stewart's son, and played at Pitt, not only that, but played in ACC, averaged double figures. You know, he was able to do a lot of things. Now, again, it's hard to tell first game. They threw 106 on the board. That's really not been their problem. Uh, but I'm curious to see how he kind of interacts. And other than that, um, Jadarius Harris is about the only guy I, I saw play last year that's on that roster. So I, I'll be—it's a makeshift new roster. You never know what you're going to get. It's early in the season. You know, the one thing they won a couple of tight games last year, early uh, in their own building, kind of hit some late buzzer beat. I think they hit a half court heave at one time to win a game last year, right before they played ETSU. And so it, it'll be interesting to see how that game plays out in the first test for this Buccaneer squad on the road but offensively i think coach stewart's always been able to figure out how to get points on the board they've got some scores craig randall's a guy i didn't mention memphis and duquesne before coming to ut martin he dropped 16 and grabbed four rebounds per game last year dove against jay state last year in the league postseason 35 in their last game of the year he's a cuyahoga community college transfer and then 24 as you mentioned against STLCOP, the acronym, uh, St. Louis College of Pharmacy. He shot 60% from the field last year. Both of those guys were all league. And then, yeah, Parker Stewart had to sit out last year after transferring from Pitt, but 43% from beyond the arc was second in the ACC. And he was second on Pitt in conference play and scoring at 11 per game. Kind of a sharpshooter. They can score. Can they defend? They gave up 80 per game last year. So ETSU, knowing that Coach Forbes last night said, I'm really more worried about how we're defending. They looked very good on the defensive end. Can they control the tempo? Can they get UT Martin out of their comfort zone and maybe slow the pace down? Can they limit UT Martin on the offensive end? Can that defense do that job? And then can they score with the multitude of options they have? One of the bites we didn't hear, Coach Forbes last night said, I don't think there's a 20-point-per-game guy on the roster this year. Now, Trey scored 20 last night, but a couple of those were garbage time threes. Game was really already over. It would have been 14 is the leading scorer for Trey Boyd. Instead, he ended up with 20, but three other guys were in double figures. Another had nine points. So very balanced. How do they attack UT Martin's defense that has historically been not as prevalent as their presence on the offensive end? And this hasn't always been a bad UT Martin team. The final three years of the OVC, they were separated into the East and West, the final three years being 2013, 14, 14, 15, and 15, 16. Martin won two West League titles and had a second-place finish. And then I've had a couple bad years since, but they're projected fifth in the media poll in the OVC. And we remember last year, the OVC was a very good league with Belmont and Murray State both winning games in the tournament. Yeah, and uh, it really a dogfight got national attention. Of course, obviously, when you have John Moran at, at Murray State, that helps out. Right. Belmont 
has been a, hard to say not a household name, but at the mid-major level, that, it's a household name if Definitely. you say it. I get it. it. If you just followed ACC basketball, maybe you haven't heard of it. But other than that, you know who Belmont is and Rick Bird and all his accolades and how many trips to the NCAA tournament that they were able to do. Rebounding has always been a little bit of an issue for them uh, last couple of years. And uh, just looking at last year's game, uh, ETSU got 16, 21 and 16 from Jerome Rodriguez. Wow. And they're traditionally not big. And again, just looking at quick glance at the roster and not watching the pharmacy game or whatever. It just they look very athletic. Yeah, that's really look bold. Well, and and, it's, and they want to get up and down. It's just a style of play that they want. But um, you know, ETSU a forty-five twenty-nine rebound advantage. Again, you throw twenty-one sixteen on the board for Jerome Rodriguez. But having that depth, I think, is going to help the ball handlers for ETSU will be very key in this game. How will Davian Williamson, who had a rough start uh, to the first part of the game against Newberry, I think he settled down. I think he had three turnovers early and then settled down, maybe had won the rest of the game. But they didn't have any in an exhibition game. And then you got Isaiah Tisdale, who's just been phenomenal so far. You know, how's Patrick Good in his back? How's that going to go? You know, what you can't have, I, I think, is have a shot-for-shot match. Although I feel good about ETSU and their scoring, that plays right into the hands of what the Skyhawks want to do. So I don't think – it can be that type of game. I think if ETSU can lock down and, and a couple different spurts of three minutes or, or you know two spurts of three or four minutes where you, the Skyhawks can't score and ETSU is able to put points on the board, they can really stretch it out. ETSU women's basketball. Are you worried that this could be a letdown game tomorrow? Oh, absolutely, a- absolutely. Yeah, you know it's it it you see it all the time in sports, right? You have an epic, even though it's not a win, you have an epic performance, get everything going, you're feeling really good, you laid it all on the line. And then you turn around and, and the end you laid it on the line at home. Now you got to go on the road. You got to get things going. The one thing I think that helps maybe ETSU is the fact that they played a tight game, came from behind, had a last shot to try to tie. Never really led in the game. Always playing from behind. Down 12, I think, with three, four minutes to go. Able to get all the way back. Eric Haynes Overton really had to chunk one up uh, right over. I guess a second before the horn went off to try to tie the game up, didn't go down. So the one thing working for them is the fact that they've got that, but I think it's still very concerning. And how much in the tank? I mean, she had a couple days to recover, but, you know, will Eric Haynes Overton take a little bit to kind of get things going again? Well, I think she's going to get four, which would put her at 1,000 for her career, and she's probably going to get a few more on top of those four. Pretty safe bet. Yeah, you'll get to call her 1,000th point, joining the 1,000-point club for ETSU Women's Basketball. She will be number 24 to do that. Concerning for me, at least Stafford is questionable for tomorrow. And so being the only member of the Bucks that was in double figures aside from Haynes Overton against Tennessee, that could be worrisome, obviously, trying to plan around that. I'm guessing Amaya Adams would probably get the start in her place. Jada Craig, also questionable. She did not play against Tennessee. She's still recovering from a quad tendon tear. I wouldn't expect her to play. That would put ETSU. I know on the men's basketball side, they're going to have 10 healthy bodies at Martin. That would put ETSU women's basketball at nine. And, of course, Micah Sheets didn't have a great game against Tennessee and Coach Zell on the coaches show last night kind of confirmed what you said. Yeah, it's, it's just a bad matchup. I, I have the, I was, length. the only thing I was going to jump in and say on, on your thought process was the fact, uh, just on the double figure thought process and, and it's concerning there, was I do believe that Micah Sheets will recover Agreed. nicely in this game. Yeah. The, the problem is now you're post play, though. So you get a couple perimeters going. Are you going to be able to post? And the big thing's rebounding. And I, I get it. 
21, you know, minus 21 against Tennessee is a different animal when they're literally rolling 6-2 to 6-5 across the board on you. I, I get that. But Liberty has always prodded themselves on rebounding, especially on the women's side of things. And so um, it was a big discrepancy in last year's contest. I think it was maybe 20. Um, Liberty was plus 20 on the boards. Is that right? So I think that was that, that's what's a little concerning if Stafford's out. Now, I love the way she competes inside, able to go. And, and again, if if this was a maybe a week later, maybe you get Dottel back and maybe she can step in there, maybe she can help out a little bit, but you're not going to have that. So, to me, they're going to have to get points from the perimeter and hope that they can just keep Liberty off the glass. I think what will also help, Shania Jackson got in bad foul trouble early. She got two fouls, pretty bang, bang. I think it was inside like 90 seconds into the Tennessee game. She's 6-1. She's their center. She's in the jump circle at the outset of games. So, that will certainly help. Um, Tiana Kimbrough. Uh, six foot four. We know she's a big presence. Um, she also had some foul issues as well and didn't end up playing a ton in that Tennessee game. So those two in terms of keeping Liberty off the glass will definitely help uh, as well. I'm worried about Kean Green, the 2017 Big South Freshman of the Year and 2018 Big South Player of the Year. She missed 599 days with injury had surgery and just returned on tuesday and how about nine points and 11 boards in 14 minutes well and that that was the one i had circled on my list too to talk about i think you know with the accolades right i mean you, you can't look over that freshman of the year player of the year i mean you start to look at okay she she's proved herself not just one year but two years and so that's that was the one thing i was like okay get her back in the fold um, six foot one redshirt junior plays the center position able to score inside that's an area where ETSU again a little thin uh, it could be an issue there so that that's one thing I would point to and then they got a couple of ladies that can really shoot it Ashton uh, um, Ashton Baker five foot six junior 19 points in the opener at Norfolk State yep. so I think that's a little concerning but there's good size for Liberty and it seems like ETSU may be undersized a little bit this year. Again, depending on how the pill goes, depending on a couple injuries go. You know, it's way too early. Looking next year, next year ETSU is going to be a lot more ready uh, uh, across the board size-wise. But that has nothing to do with the game coming up uh, today at uh, 5 o'clock, 4.30. Oh, this, time. Is, this is just a good program in Liberty. You know, they've constantly been in the top one or two in uh, the Big South when they were in that for as long as they were. Eight separate occasions, they lost two games or less in the league in a schedule that varied anywhere from 12 to 20 games, depending on the year. So impressive consistency, and it certainly seemed like, based off of that history, that they're going to be good again this year. They were a little bit down overall the last couple of years. I think they were 500 either last year or the year before, but there's a pedigree there, and they obviously have a wealth of resources and facilities and such. They're actually, the Vine Center is, after this year, uh, no longer going to be where basketball games are hosted. I think I saw 125,000 square foot arena is what they're building. Didn't look at the price tag because I didn't want uh, yeah, to go to the top of the building yeah. right after I saw that. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, honestly, they they are a good program year in, year out. Last year was a really fun game. I hope it's another game like that, except ETSU comes out on top because it was back and forth, up and down, and it was a lot of fun. Well, and, and last year, even though they were 500, they were 10-6 and six in the Atlantic Sun. Now, again, they're the weird football independent. They left the Big South, everything else playing in the old conference. ETSU was in Atlantic Sun, and they're only second to a team that has been dominant for 20 years, or at least however long they've been in the Atlantic Sun, uh, the Florida Gulf Coast Eagles, which most Buck fans will remember, especially the women's basketball program that was top 25 
uh, ranked for two or three years consecutively. So if that's the only team they're trailing right this second to start the year, I think it's a, a, a good uh, company to be with. The other two players that we hadn't really talked about real quick is Emily Lytle and then uh, Bridget Rettstadt, and then she they're both preseason all-conference. So, again, one game Norfolk State um, on the road, which I find interesting, played at on the road. This will be their home opener, which there is a nice little fun fact there about ETSU. Yeah, and the reason I brought up the Big South, they were there until July 2018, then made the transition last year. So, second year uh, in the Atlantic Sun. But, um, yeah, regardless of the conference, they're going to be good. It's going to be very good, and this will be uh, – I, I don't know if they did it on purpose or not, but the first game in the Vine Center, December seventh, 1990, against your ETSU Buccaneers. Oh, wow. And the Bucks did spoil that game by winning it 86-74. And a person I'm familiar with, you probably are since you had to look up the record book the other day yep. for 41 points from Eric Haynes Overton, but Nicole Hobson – one of the greatest players in ETSU history, dropped 38 that day, and that still is tied for the most points ever by an opposing player in that building. So it stood 30 years, and then all of a sudden, the last year they're going to be there, 30 years later, they're well, going to welcome the Bucks back. I was going to say, and funny enough, Erica Haynes-Overton's coming off a 41-point game. Could the record fall? Are you, you calling might, for 39? I'm Bold calling predictions. for 41 again. Back 41 back, again, back-to-back. Back. That would be pretty impressive. Oh, I'd love Don't that. put a past her. Matter of fact, if she did that, she would uh, not only be the 24th player, to score 1,000, but she would eclipse. The ranks yeah, yeah, she would get to 21. She wouldn't catch Amy Engel with that, but she would she would pass a couple of good ones. Um, I know Gwen Washington was one of them. I should have brought that sheet in here, but I, I already have that. I'm ready. I'm ready. When she's a 24, she gets a 23rd. She gets to 22. I'll get there. Hopefully, what's, I won't forget. What's your thousand point call? I, I don't know that I have a go to thousand point call. <laughs> there it is. Thousand point. I don't know. <laughs> Probably depends on what happens. Maybe she'll hit a step back three, and I'll lose my mind anyway. Oh, there you go. All right, I just hope I can remember it's quarters, not halves. i got to figure that out. All right, that'll do it for basketball. A little preview of today's game against Liberty, tomorrow's game against UT Martin. Of course, we're reverse roles there. I'll handle the women's game. Michael will handle the men's game. We are going to handle the football game. That will be ETSU Western Carolina. We'll give you our thoughts on that after this time. I'm Sandoz Sidekick. Come back at Air Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sanders to the sidekick back with you as now we talk a little ETSU football 330 will be over in Cullowee, North Carolina, ETSU versus the Catamounts, 2 o'clock pregame show coverage. Again, busy, busy weekend of athletics, especially when you look at volleyball, you look at soccer, you look at men's women's basketball, I think tennis is in action, football. I don't know. Do we have I'm another exhausted sport? Just listening to it, and oh, also physically goodness. exhausted already from the last three weeks. Oh, <laughs> and the next, three. we just got a couple more. Uh, once we get into first of December, and there's about an eight day layoff. If the podcast just takes a break, just nobody sends us don't a message. Don't be surprised. Yeah, that's right. We may, may need to take a nap or two. Let's talk a little bit about West Carolina. Obviously, they got a big win, and I did enjoy. I don't know if Coach Spear. I know you've talked to him already, and uh, I've only listened to the first part of that interview. I don't know if he brought it up, but I thought he had one of the better lines after the game. 
that the fact that he was going to be able to enjoy this for 25 hours because it, they, they fell back one. So he was going to give himself an extra hour to enjoy. That the, is a good the, the, I thought it was That's great. Never thought of it that way. I thought it was great. <laughs> he goes, I've told the guys I can have 25 hours, and I'm sitting there thinking, what? oh. If I, I wouldn't so, have gotten it. No, it, 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 it took me a while. Yeah. Trust me, I'm sitting there going, is that a typo? Do I need to send uh, Daniel Hooker, a good buddy, yeah. who was on Wednesday? I'm like, hey, uh, Daniel, did you mistype that? And then it dawned on me because of the time change that he he just made a funny. But I, I thought it was great. But watch the game. Boy, they really did a nice job of running the football and did a nice job of using Tyree Adams, who is still dangerous, even though he's not running the ball particularly well. We heard on Wednesday about his turf toe. There's some other things. But he's such a threat that he just opens up run lanes, and West Carolina was able to take advantage of it. And one of the more interesting plays – West Carolina had to snap the ball up two with about, I don't know, it was like 10 seconds left. Clock clock was running. And so basically Tyree Adams kind of rolls out waste time and then just kind of chunks it up. And to be honest with you, it's one of those where like, "Ah, if I get a completion, great, because he threw it to like the 15-yard line. And Patton gets tangled up with uh, uh, Rick Troutman, and all of a sudden – Patton catches the ball, and Troutman kind of turns and looks. It's like, ah, you know, the the game's already, and Patton walks off. So it looks like when you read it, I'm like, oh, my goodness, Western ran it up. You know what I mean? I'm like, why are you throwing? And then you see the play. You see the situation. You watch it. It did give more context to what was going on. But it was the rare already up to walk-off touchdown. Well, I I watched it live in here while our game was on. And, of course, I flipped over after that game was over and watched the rest of the ETSU game. But – it was one of those, what are you doing? I mean, you're up to do sub, take a knee, like run around to the backfield, go out of bounds, do whatever you need to do, but throws it up deep. And I was like, well, that actually is pretty cool. I'd love to be in, in the shoes of anyone on Western Carolina at that point, because you get to run around and celebrate on the opponent's field. And um, I'm not sure if I was extremely happy about it, but at that point, the game was over regardless. And uh, it was very strange. Yeah. Well, and, and I've seen a lot of people do that run around and then you just throw it out of bounds or throw it away because if it's an offensive penalty, the game ends anyways. Right, so so it doesn't matter what it. So you can eat all the offensive penalties you want. So I've seen you run around and just throw it out of the back of the end zone. So he just threw it downfield. It was going to the game was over unless you had the the which I don't even know why you would do it because you could have the rare interception and all of a sudden here we go lateral city and who knows what happens. But it was so funny, he kind of lofted it up there and I thought, well, okay, he's just trying to end the game. And then all of a sudden I'm like, hey, there's two guys there. And then all of a sudden, ooh, Patton caught it and touchdown. So that I thought that was interesting. But I thought West Carolina, you know had really struggled to do some things. VMI, just like he, they're just so similar to ETSU when I watched that game from last year. Their margin of error is so thin. I, I guess it's just like this year. The margin of error is so thin for them, and West Carolina was able to make a, a couple plays like, like Mercer did a few weeks ago against VMI. Oh, VMI had five turnovers if uh, Mark Spear cited his source, and his source would be his own stat sheet correctly. Well, and Reese Udinsky first interception yeah. oh it's heartbreaking 350 plus I, 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 I was i almost bold predicted the other day and i stopped i was gonna say he's gonna oh. get to 500 passes but. oh my gosh yeah. that would have yeah. been impressive yeah. it was like i think it ended up being like 357 or something like that consecutive passes without where an fcs and, record we will get back to west carolina one second because you know i'm on the udinsky, udinsky train since last year <laughs> let me just ask you this. you were with udinsky if i would have said that's right udinsky. that's true but <laughs> <laughs> before Wackenheim was. <laughs> what do you, if I would have said at the beginning of the year, Udinsky would start the year, or at any point in time, he's going to go 357 passes without an interception. What's more impressive, though, that or 20 rushing touchdowns in nine games from Alex Ramsey? Oh, man. that well, That's, yeah, Ramsey. No, I don't know. No, no, no. I'm going to go past. Did we do the trivia what? on how many rushing touchdowns are the most in 
FCS and FBS history in a season? No. Go right ahead. Take a guess. I'll give you a hint. 1988 was the FBS record, and it's probably the greatest single rushing season in the history of football at any 88. Level. 88. Was that uh, Barry Sanders? Boom! Oklahoma State Barry Sanders. He also had 2,700 rushing yards. 37 Tw- rushing so- touchdowns. I'm sorry, he had 2,700. And 37 rushing touchdowns. Rushing touchdowns. 30 Just rushing touchdowns. 30. <laughs> the, I knew it was Barry Sanders. Who's the FCS? I'll the- give you a hint. He made the league. It's recent, and he's from one of your favorite programs. Towson Tigers. Towson Tigers, come on. You're I know, there. I know. There. <laughs> <laughs> he made the league. Uh, I had him on my fantasy team, actually, for a couple years, if I remember right. Uh, he was in the area on an NFL team. In the area. Now, that could be like five teams, but I still say, narrows it down. I mean, you can get to Atlanta, you can get still to Charlotte, you can get Cincinnati, you can get to uh, the Tennessee Titans. A little bit further <sighs> out. A little bit further out. No, you're not going to get it. Oh, I'll God. give you a hint. His right. name is a direction. North. <laughs> why East. Did you, why did you get all of the <laughs> – you know that West is a last name. I know it. I Terrence. Oh, West. Terrence. Yeah. How is oh, I do feel bad about that. 41 oh. Oh, that's rushing yeah. touchdowns. Oh. So, Alex Ramsey ain't in there. Anyway, Western All right, let's go back. West Carolina. So, the big thing, I think, to stopping after talking to the uh, coordinators today, one is the offensive line was tremendous. If they can continue to really kind of slug it out, West Carolina, because everyone is open about West Carolina – and the troubles they've had, similar to ETSU because of injuries, although ETSU's all their injuries have not been on the front three. It has been for Western Carolina. So I think ETSU is going to be able to have their way. Flip side of things, Tyree Adams is where it starts and ends. You have to be able to stop him. Three years now, he has played against ETSU, started 943 yards. That's averaging 314 a game against the Bucks. Seven touchdown passes, zero interceptions. He does only have one rushing touchdown, but he has 288 yards on the ground against ETSU. So you're almost 100 yards a game. I mean, he went 37 in the game at Bristol Motor Speedway, and that's really because ETSU had like six, seven sacks or something. It probably drew that worse. He had 90 in 2017, and one of the greatest – actually, I was reliving it with, with Billy Taylor. Uh, Bucks had – Blake Bockworth on a blitz. They had Traymond Farrell and Jason Madua-Fakwa all had him cornered, all collapsing on him. And at the last second, somehow, Adam spins out of nowhere, sort of like the Quay Holmes is in the gaggle of people and breaks out. Adams spins out of that, picks up like 35 yards, sprinting down the field, and Nasir player had to walk him down, and only because there were a couple of safeties that kind of slowed him down and made him stutter step a little bit, and the player had to make the play. Still one of the best individual plays what you, uh, that I've seen. last year? Yeah. Gosh. He, I mean, last year alone, you're talking about uh, 27 rushes, 161 yards, Jeez. a touchdown, and he threw for 229 and four scores. I don't even – I can't even respond. I mean, I, that's a lot. That's that's about as good as you can do. Can the Bucs keep up? Scoring, I think uh, the, the – the big thing is the ground game. And um, they're bad up front, mainly because of injuries, as you said. They're they, actually, on both sides, the right. they've had injuries. The, they they lead a league in sack, they're, uh, sacks or three per game, which is worst in the league. Special Already teams. Last year. The, they weren't particularly good last year. No, 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 no. And, they're not, and, and, Tyree, and, and really, how bad would they be if Tyree Adams couldn't run around? I mean, in all honesty, I mean, if you run around now, they've been better last couple of games. 
but I think the issue is going to come down to can ETSU kind of do what your job, stay in the lanes. They will spy, my guess is probably Lakes or Yancey will be the spy in third down situations. The problem is that first and second down, what are they going to be able to do there? I think um, Daquan Patton's a solid receiver. Uh, obviously, they got a All-American tight end. Uh, Koski's there. and Kosinki. Kosinki and Owen. Owen Kosinki. Mm-hmm. And he's had some good game. games. Yes, yes. He did his uh, the year before that, too, 17, I believe. So, Kosinki's in there. But I thought – I did hear where you brought it up, the special teams. You know, you're talking about worst – kickoff coverage worst net punting worst yeah. so etsu can get some field position there with the bucks hang on to the football can they force a turnover all this i think the offensive and defensive line are going to dictate how the bucks do in this game i agree and it's also you touched on it mistakes these are the two most penalized teams in the league who can avoid the penalties because they're far and away actually the two most penalized teams in the league turnover wise western carolina is minus three this year and that's only as good as that because of those five forced turnovers against vmi last week and etsu is minus five this is how bad it's gotten up front though for western carolina they're starting three freshmen on the offensive line at least as of last week three-man front on the defensive line a freshman and a sophomore are starting the rushing defense is allowing 270 yards per game worst in the league solomon clark from last year their leading sacker graduated Jaquez Williams, who was second on the team in sacks, no longer there. Defensive lineman Nate Link, who was third on the team in sacks, gone. Defensive lineman Adam Henderson, who they expected a lot from up front. Coach Spears said that he thought he was going to be the best defensive lineman that they had. Got hurt in the first game of the year, surgery out for the season. Mitchell Chancey, who tied for fourth on the team in sacks last year and was the team's leading tackler, had like 13 a game or something like that, gone. So you include Henderson, who is not playing right now. The top five are gone in sacks plus the top two leading tacklers. That, regardless of injuries, take Henderson out. You lose that much, and you've got that kind of youth. There's going to be some growing pains. There obviously have been. 26 sacks is what they gave up last year. This year, it's 27. They're also, aside from the VMI game, really not forcing turnovers. A couple of ball hawks are gone from last year. They do have a pretty strong secondary. Michael Murphy is back. He led the team in interceptions. John Brandon, the third, has three interceptions this year. And Jermichael White's a team captain of theirs, has 67 tackles. So they're pretty good back there, and they're third in the league in passing defense. So I agree 100% up front is where you got to beat them. Local product, Jermichael White, signed to high school. But John Brandon, the third, I would not bring his name up to Austin Herrick uh, here in a little bit. That was a... Some bad memories of 17, I believe. Oh, um, he had the pick my, six. My, 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 my right, found, was that it? The might have found Brandon. If he, Brandon either had the pick six or Brandon had the one that got tackled at the four. There were two of them. So mm. either way, maybe we'll avoid that. But you look at defensive numbers, sixth overall in total yards given up, but third in the passing game for Western Carolina, ninth rushing. They're giving up 270 yards rushing. The Bucks were able to get really that ground game going. Defensively, you know, second for the Bucks total defense, first against the pass, fourth against the rush. But offenses are where they're about even. That's why I'm curious how the defense will go. The Bucks are uh, eighth in the league in scoring offense. West Carolina is ninth. Total offense, eight and nine, same way. ETSU eight, West Carolina nine. They're both a little middle of the pack in passing, fourth and fifth, still in favor of ETSU, and rushing sixth and seventh. Again, ETSU slightly better. So the defensive ones are where really I think it matters. And in red zone, um, just as anemic as ETSU is in scoring touchdowns in the red zone, same thing. West Carolina can't score touchdowns in the red zone either. So who can score touchdowns in the red zone? If I had to kind of whittle it down into one or two quick bullet points, I would say – 
the line of scrimmage, offense and defense, can ETSU dominate that? Can they just contain? They can't stop. Can you contain Tyree Adams? And then who is going to score more touchdowns when they get in the red zone? I mean, red zone-wise, ETSU is much better overall. You look at 88.5% conversion Mm -hmm. rate, now only 15 touchdowns and 23 chances. Western Carolina, 20 of 27. That's 74%, and that's last in the league by far. And they've got 16 touchdowns, which is a little bit better in terms of getting the touchdowns when you're scoring, but they're just not doing a good job of scoring in general. Yeah, but you still look at it. You still need three field goals to make up – or two field goals to, to tie the touchdown. If you look at it there, so they're still point-wise not that bad. They have missed opportunity, And they've also – they've been down, and so there's been games where we're like, well, why are we really kicking a field goal here? Like, let's just go for it. And so there's probably been a couple of those when you go back and look through the books that made that 20-27 a little worse. But really, this is a, this is a game where so far the home team has held serve, if you want to count Bruce Mushpoo as a home game, which it did. But 2016-2018, ETSU's been victorious. 2017 was uh, Western Carolina. So we'll see what uh, 2019 holds. 3.30 kickoff, ETSU, Western Carolina. When we come back, Austin Herrick is going to be join, uh, joining Mike Gallagher. And then after that, bold predictions. All coming up right after this on Santa's Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Cake. Beer. Cake. Beer. Quality. 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 Not to be. Continental MVP. Cake. Cake. A slice of cake. Cake. Beer. Beer. Um, yeah. Why would I do that to you? You know, you've been nothing but good to the show, nothing but good to me. A Buccaneer legend, encased gold statue on the third floor, and I had to throw that into the bumper. Why would I do that? Yeah, you got to keep me humble. You know, I mean, this quality control stuff can really get you <laughs> flying high, and you got to keep me... Uh, Keep me grounded. Well, your ego, I'm sure, has never been bigger after doing 16-hour days, crunching numbers, and wetting down balls for Trey to throw around, and grabbing Subway and coffee for coaches and such. Yeah. And I'm just running down a day as you've described it. I'm not demeaning your position. I'm just saying what you have told me you do. Yeah, no doubt. You can definitely get the big head from uh, doing some of those tasks. So um, it's good to come in here every week and, uh, you know, just come back to earth and realize that, uh, you know, I'm not as big as I feel sometimes. Well, to be <laughs> fair, the first thing we always do on the show is now this Twitter thing, which reinflates your head after you walk in, and the first two minutes I break you down. But then I'm assuming that it's even bigger walking out after this Twitter segment than it was when you walked in. <laughs> At Devin Munger, March 5th, 2012. Cannot wait until Saturday when I get the privilege to hang out with, all caps, THE Austin Herrick. Yeah, I don't know if she was doing that to, like... Uh, like make fun of me, I guess. Like maybe. Like, no, 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 no. We've got a body of work here from Twitter that clearly shows this is genuine and sincere. If this was just Devin Munger, I'd say okay, maybe she's poking fun at you. But clearly, this is a genuine, real feeling from perhaps all of Twitter. Certainly, a big majority of it. Yeah. So 
once again, this is someone I was friends with in high school, and um, yeah, she and I think that weekend in particular, it was me and my friends, and she was part of our friend group in high school, and I guess we were probably going out to the lake to hang out and. Classic yeah. bro. Classic I don't. Bro. I don't know why she did that, but I guess we did hang out that weekend. Yeah. She probably thought that you were the soon-to-be continental MVP rather than the not-to-be continental MVP, as the bumper does say. Now uh, at Go Vols Extra, boy, this is when you were absolutely big time. The name was hot. <laughs> the name was steaming, piping hot. February second, two thousand thirteen, in-state QB Austin Herrick attends Tennessee Vols Junior Day. What do you remember about that? Oh, yeah, that was. Uh, that was when I really thought I was something. Um, when you put your hand on the ball, did the ball just melt because you were that flamingly hot at that point? Your stock was so high it was touching the sun. I mean, I, w- I was definitely peaking. Um, that, that was a time where I thought, you know, if I don't end up at Tennessee or Alabama, I'll, <laughs> I'll be able to go to, to middle Tennessee State and start for four years. and You know, no big deal. Um, yeah, so at that time, um, I, I did have Tennessee looking at me. Um, guess that kind of speaks to their last coaching staff, um, <laughs> but but no, I I was up there at junior day with um, it was it was called statement day rather and Ooh. it was yeah it was all the guys in the state that they wanted and it oh, was Coach Jones okay, it was yeah. uh, Coach Jones's first class and it was guys like Josh Malone who's now with the Cincinnati Bengals I believe uh, Jalen Hurd who mm. was a running back there and yep. went to. Uh, Baylor now with the 49ers, Vic Wharton, Todd Kelly. I mean, it was a class they were trying to, you know, build their program around, and a lot of the guys were from Tennessee, and I was the only quarterback there that day, and so I thought, oh, yeah. Lock it up. Yeah, lock it up. Here I go. Um, That whole day, not a word was said to me by the coaches except, like, hi and bye. Um, That's it. So so at that time, I was like, okay, you know, maybe – Maybe not Tennessee, maybe somewhere else. But um, they ended up calling me back. Up. You, they were silenced by your greatness. You thought that they were just speechless at what they saw. So you're th- like, I'm trading up. I think they saw me and they're like, wow, that kid looks really unathletic. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I did get invited up for another visit. I had one more visit at Tennessee where I sat with Coach Jones and talked to him and um, really nothing was said of great importance, and that was kind of my... Just high and by again? You sat there for him with a half hour? Yeah, I mean, we just kind of talked about the, the offense and whatnot, and, and then that was uh, that. Was that. Um, it was really interesting. I knew um, I never liked Butch Jones. I think, I think it was just one of those things where I had maybe thrown well at camp, and um, I was probably four or five on their board and they had you know one two and three were really interested so I was just kind of like oh we'll stream along until we know what we have so yeah um that kind of happened at Alabama too which is weird um because definitely not a five star by any means I think I actually was a two star um but I went to I Alabama. I think you told the story on the air that said you called the guy's dad that you knew, and he was like, you want some stars, and he gave yeah, it to you. Yeah, there you go. But I could still say, hey, yeah, got those two stars. Yeah. It pays to know people. No doubt. Um, but no, I, I was at Alabama literally through the best I've ever thrown in my entire life. Just threw it really, really well. And after that day, the offensive coordinator um, called me aside. He was like, hey, we really like you, blah, blah, blah. Took me around the whole facility. Saw Coach Saban's office, all those things. Actually was like, hey, I've got a three-hour ride home. Can't take a shower. Took a shower in their facility. Claimed a fame right there. Um, and so, yeah, uh, not much was said after that. So, But, yeah, for, for about 15 minutes, I was pretty set on committing to Alabama uh, that day. 
um, but didn't get the offer. <laughs> Maybe Butch Jones couldn't comprehend and grasp why you were throwing your ball with the left hand. You know, maybe he's just that minute of a football mind. Have we considered that? Maybe so. Um, maybe he wasn't a big left-handed guy. I, no, I no, do. no, not that he was not a big left-handed guy. Like he knew what he was doing. That he literally saw you throw it left-handed and was just like, "I don't understand." Like I'm uh, making fun of Butch Jones. Okay, see what I'm doing. That's fair. Yeah. But there is a lot of uh, right-handed quarterback privilege. I will say that. Is there, there a lot so of slide the to thing. the left? Okay. I mean, look at the it's NFL. Like the East Coast bias in sports yeah. coverage. How many uh, how many left-handed quarterbacks are in the NFL right now? Uh, last one I remember is Mark Brunel. I'm sure there's been one. Mike since. Vick, Michael Vick. Jeez, yeah, Sean Canfield got picked up for that? a few. He played at Oregon State. Okay, I keep up with my lefties. Okay, yeah, so not many. Is, are those the three like that? So I named Brunel. There's been a got there's, uh, Chris Sims was lefty. Oh, Chris Sims was um, lefty. I like me some Chris Sims. Me Didn't too. he like rupture a lung or something in a, rupture game, a playoff a spleen. game? A spleen. Kept playing okay. through it. Yeah, what respect Chris Sims. He almost yeah. died because of that, though. I'm pretty sure. No doubt. Yeah, that was a little aggressive. Maybe he should have just went to the hospital and. Got to be tough. You got hey team grit. <laughs> homecoming. How was your homecoming? It was good. It, that was good to see I, some people. Yeah, I, I did not realize how big a deal homecoming was. Um, that was my first real homecoming as a person who's not involved in the game, um, whether it be high school or college. And so I got to see a lot of guys who came back, and um, that was cool just to kind of catch up with them and um, enjoy the festivities of homecoming. What do you prefer, the homecoming experience as a player or as a patron? Um, definitely wish I could be playing, but the homecoming experience as a patron um, is much better. Just because there's, you know, you get to see people you haven't seen in a while. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure. You're not out there. If you if you throw a pick, you don't feel bad, you know, seeing them later that night. You, yeah, I didn't throw a pick. I was up in the box, you know. Yeah, they, did, they, didn't the see, play they, they didn't see my mistakes right, in the box. Right. Maybe I wrote a play down wrong. You know, they wrote a play care. down wrong, called the wrong coverage, and then they threw a pick because of your wrong thing that you did. But they'll never know because you're not the guy. That's yeah, you know, I don't have to take the blame. Yeah, you know? no doubt. I always knew you wanted to cap out of mistakes, but this is a new uh, level. Oh, no me. doubt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did you think of the NCA? This is a topic you've brought up to me off air that you've wanted to talk about, and I don't want to get too far into it because we could probably talk for 20, 30 minutes about it, like we can with most things, but. The NCAA expanded their likeness opportunities for athletes. Now, you're very passionate about this subject. To me, the first thing I thought, and it was confirmed when I actually read more into it today, this really isn't going to do that much. Right. It's way too small and not expansive enough of a change for people that are pro pay for play. Right. No, I I am not what you would say pro uh, play for or a pay for play. There you go. Um, yeah, my bad there. Uh, but, yeah, I don't think it does much at all. Um, kind of my stance on it um, and some is just let it be a free market. Um, you don't have – the university or the NCAA doesn't have to pay them. Um, but if someone, i.e. a local business or whatever, is willing to pay them to use them for sponsorship or for an endorsement or things like that or potentially a, a jersey being sold, I, I don't see anything wrong with that, a signature – um, because they have a talent, they're getting paid for it, that's cool. That's America, I think. Um, just like if you're in the band and you can sing and you go to join American Idol and you win, you can get money for that. So I think athletes should be able to do that. I think at ETSU, probably wouldn't have got uh, too much money thrown my way. What would those paychecks have looked like for us in here? What do you think? Uh, Where would the decimal point have been? Well, I don't know. if I, Not the commas, the decimal point. Uh, I don't know. I oh I do actually know. Uh, I take that back. In 2015, 
uh, me and some teammates went to Bristol Motor Speedway to sign autographs. Um, it was a poster promoting the upcoming season. Well, on that poster was my picture. Um, I saw it on eBay uh, for like six fifty. So six hundred fifty bucks. That's awesome. No, six dollars fifty oh, cents. So, so the you decimal div- points between. I think the there six was the like uh, six players. So you divide that out. Um, you know, maybe the crunchy taco. Taco yeah, Bell's ma- exactly. Yeah, you know, the, the the dollar menu is where I belong. So I would say not too much. But guys like seriously though, guys like Zion and Johnny Manziel and guys like that. So here's what I said. I thought it would affect about fifteen to twenty people nationally. Right, and that's what it should, because those guys do this. People go to the games not to watch Duke; they go to watch Zion. Or, um, whereas, like if you're the third team shooting guard at Duke, people aren't coming to the game to watch you; they're going to watch Duke. You know, and um, I, I think that's a pretty easy way to figure it out. You know, it's it just let meritocracy run it, and the free market work its way out. So you would be in favor of this is the buzzword around a lot of it, the athletes being contracted employees of the university. I, I would not be in you favor, be in of, favor that. of that. You wouldn't go yeah. that far. Well, I mean, technically, your scholarship is a contract. It's not the same as being a contracted employee. I just right. think um, that if Nike wants to sign Zion to a deal, they should be able to, as well as Adidas or, or whoever. Um, but that's not going to affect many players. Like you said, 10 to 15 nationally maybe. Uh, and, and that will work its way out. Um, but the, there's this notion that it would upset the balance in college sports. I would say um, the balance is already pretty substantial. Uh, that It's not very balanced. Um, the same teams win. Yes, you do have upsets. You would still see upsets. But, um, yeah, I, I think the only thing that could be tough um, – is if you do allow the universities and the boosters to get involved, you'd have to really monitor that um, because then you could um, potentially have guys that would start at an ETSU or a Middle Tennessee State um, that would go be third or fourth string at Alabama just to get some money where they couldn't at maybe ETSU or Middle Tennessee State. All the Austin Herricks of the world want is to no longer be considered a crunchy taco quarterback and be an entree guy. That's all they want. See, Why stop them? Why not give them uh, what they want? I, I'm fine with uh, my uh, my uh, Crunchwrap Supreme. Yeah. Oh, the Crunchwrap Supreme. Yeah, there you know, go. yeah, the, the combo. So uh, that's where I would. I mean, it's fine. I, I understand. I was I was a decent college football player, but I didn't deserve to be paid. I got the better end of the deal, if you ask me. With ETSU, I got two degrees for free, so that's incredible. But if I'm Zion. Uh, probably should be getting paid if you're going to make me go to school for a year you're a combo menu quarterback you're a dual threat quarterback out of high school combo dual threat boom just a lot going on no question a lot of skills a lot of talent a lot of crunchy (laughs) tacos uh what do you remember about last year's game against western carolina triple overtime there's so many different things that i think stand out to so many different people depending on who you talk to i remember the missed field goal that's the one thing that stands out in my mind it's not to take anything away from the effort from the box uh the win uh, the marathon that it was, the epicness of that W, but that is the one play that stands out to me in my mind. You being center stage for that one and having that be towards the end of the regular season and, and really um, vaulting you even further into the conversation for Southern Conference Championship and putting you on the brink, really, of doing that and on the brink of making the playoffs, ultimately getting both of those things done. What comes to your mind first when you think about that long, arduous journey to what was ultimately a tremendous W. Yeah, I think that game kind of 
summed up our season in a way, just kind of how improbable things were. Um, I, I remember coming off of the Wofford loss thinking we really, really need to win this game um, just for those title aspirations like you were talking about. Um, in fact, it did set up the Mercer. possibility to clinch at Mercer, which, right. again, did happen. Yeah, and so um, from that game, it was one of the weirdest games I ever played in personally because the first quarter I felt like I played pretty well. And then really from the second to the third quarter, or to the beginning of the fourth, rather, um, I just felt out of rhythm. Mm. And normally when you get out of rhythm, it's really, really difficult to get back in rhythm. In fact, I think this was probably the only time um, I had gotten back in a rhythm out of coming out of one. Um, and I thought, honestly, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, I thought, okay, this is it. Coach is going to bench me. Uh, Logan's going to go back in, and, you know, that, that's the end of my season. Um, and I, he stuck with me another drive, and um, we just kind of got things rolling there. And um, we get to overtime, and uh, not many people know this, but the first play we called – was the exact same play we called to beat Mercer in overtime at home. Jawan Stinson in the slot, 25 right. yards touchdown. We, we called we call that play, the exact same play, and they covered it up, and I got sacked. Um, then we, we got a first down and ended up throwing an interception. Yeah. Um, and I thought at that point, game's over. Um, you know, And I was standing beside Nate um, on the sideline, and I was like, if we get a shot, another shot at this, we're going to win the game. And to be honest, I didn't think we were going to get another shot. That, if I'm not mistaken, that kicker was like Southern Conference Special Teams Player of the Week right. the week previous. Yeah. And that there's no way he missed this. It was 25 yards? Or? Yeah, he's a right-footed kicker. The ball's in the left hash. You can't have a better situation. Um, and he, he shanks it. He misses it. And um, you know, 27 we, yards. Yeah, tw- I mean, goodness <laughs> great. Wow. Yeah, and so. Kicked it on third down, by the way. Yeah. They were so confident. No doubt, um, as they should have been. I suppose, yeah, why wouldn't you be? Yeah, um, and so then we go back out there and score, and um, Gatewood has that stop um, to kind of seal the game there, which was, man, that was just a great memory. It's crazy to think it's been a whole year. Um, I remember after that game, it was time to kind of celebrate Halloween, and um, we dressed up as the cast of uh, Tombstone. Uh, <laughs> that, that was pretty cool because we were talking about that during the game. Um, like, well, not during, but after. I remember I went up to Gatewood and did like the six shooter deal. So uh, it was pretty cool. That was a great memory. And uh, man, what, what a big win for us that year. So you literally thought that going into the fourth quarter, and at that point, you would have been down, let's see, 23 to 15. And then Western Carolina did add another touchdown. So it was 30 to 15. You thought at some point during that first drive, second drive, first five minutes of the quarter, whatever it may have been, going into the fourth quarter, that you were on that thin of ice. Like, it was 51-49. You may not have gone back in. No, I felt that that way every single game except the Samford and uh, Jacksonville, the Jacksonville State, State game. Those were the only okay. two games I felt like, okay, I've got you – know, I'm probably not going to get pulled. Uh, and that was good. I mean, it put the pressure on me to perform and uh, do what I needed to do in practice. Um but, yeah, no, I, and I wasn't playing well. We've watched that film uh, too many times this week, and I've got to hear um, the bad reads I had, and I was just pulling down and running a lot. And, like, <laughs> why didn't you throw to this wide-open guy? Um, no, I don't know, you hey, know. To be fair to you, the last two drives of regulation, you go, yeah, incomplete, incomplete, but then hit Ari Words for 26 yards, incomplete to Spagnoletti. 
Richburg, back-to-back completions, 36 and then 16 to get down to the three. Then you talked about Uranidin. I don't know if there's anybody open on that play, but Uranidin, and it was 30 to 22. Then there's the stop, and this Ian Berryman had just uh, a really good day. Yeah. Um, at least uh, the highlight of it came on this drive, 55-yard punt, and that pins you at the 12, and you have, what, 2.56 to go, and it's like, well, it's probably a long way to go. Plus, if you even get down there, you need a two-point conversion, and you get a short completion, then you pick up on third and six, exactly six. There's another rush for Austin Herrick, three yards. Pass complete to Anthony Spagnoletti. Also, a penalty substitution infraction that was declined. You get up to the 36 on that 11-yard completion. Couple completions, 20 or so yards between the two. Another Austin Herrick rush. Got a lot of, a lot of rushes here, no doubt. Uh, three incompletions in a row, and then you hit the big fourth and 10. Do or die. Uh, maybe your postseason hopes on the line. I would think if you would have lost that game, it probably would have been over. Maybe even if you would have beaten Sanford, who knows? Uh, hit Kobe Kelly uh, on that second and two before the three straight incompletions, um, and then you get the uh, the completion to Ari Wirtz on fourth and five down to the one, and then Nate Adkins, and then the two point conversion, which was a called QB draw, which right. I'm sure you think about as a highlight that you can rub in Coach Sanders' face of saying, look, I can run the ball. Yeah. Uh, he trusted you two in that moment, at least. Yeah, that, it was actually um, one of our favorite two-point calls that year. Is basically if we get the right number of guys in the box and they don't blitz, you know, I run. If if they've got a lot of guys in the box or they're blitzing, you just throw it. Um, and so I, I felt like it was a pretty, uh, pretty win-win situation there for us. And, you know, they played – exactly what we thought they would and we were able to capitalize and you know force overtime have you ever had turf toe i have not so i can't can't speak to tyree adams situation right now no i can't speak to it. i have had teammates and and friends go through it they say it's extremely painful definitely cannot run um mm. nearly the same as you can uh without it obviously um i just i hear it's extremely painful but not much experience. Great breakdown. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Must be for those real dual threat quarterbacks, you know. Tyree Adams in particular. Now, he's not apparently fully recovered from turf toe, so that'll be interesting to see how mobile he is this weekend. Two games left. I'm going to just bring up the elephant in the room because I feel like we got a good enough vibe where I can say this. Bucks haven't had a winless conference season since 1991. Only three in history. One of those, there is a tie. So if you talk about seasons where you've lost every conference game, just two. Um, does that enter into the mind? of people down the hall, whether it be coaches, players, obviously fans see the zero. I'm, I'm sure the players and coaches see the zero, but how much does that creep in when you're trying to just take things game by game? And I know that's the mantra. I know you always have to take it one play at a time and you have to go out and do your job as coach Sanders always says, but it seems like it'd be impossible to ignore. Right. Yeah. I think we all know exactly where we're at. Um, hasn't been the season anyone's hoped for or what we expected, but you know, I, we definitely need to get that monkey off our back this year. Um, and, and I think we will. I really think that uh, we've got two opportunities here and, and that we can take advantage of both of them if we go out and do what we need to. Um, but, yeah, I, I think a lot of the guys know that. And, and that's the challenge as a coach is to um, even when, you know, the cards are stacked against you and uh, the record's not where you want it to be, how do you get the guys ready to play? How do you um, – you know, get them continuing to focus on, like you said, just getting better each and every day. As cliche as that is, um, it's what you have to do. Because if you do start looking at the record, um, guys can be like, well, you know, why do I need to stick around and watch some extra film? Why do I need to, 
um, give my full effort this play in practice. Um, those thoughts can definitely creep in. And so um, as coaches and as uh, the guys, the, the leaders on the team, that's our job to um, keep things going and, and keep guys you know, hungry and, and wanting to get better and not just uh, throw the season away before it's over. Coming up in two weeks, we're going to, speaking of the Jacksonville State game, which we just referenced a couple of minutes ago, we're going to go back to last year, pardon me, go back to last year and revisit some of the memories. In fact, really, I think all of the memories fit into about a four or five minute span with you on the show. Now, that also could be, I'm not sure what your plans are, where you will be. So knowing this is November 7th and you've got three more games left that it could also be your final appearance on the show. Now we thought that last year too, and here you are, but uh, no things are guaranteed when you're kind of going season by season and perhaps Mm. playing, perhaps coaching, perhaps going somewhere else, perhaps doing something different altogether. Who knows? Um, You've joked with me off air about how you feel like you're just doing one thing at a time and not really getting settled and not really getting into a groove anywhere and just kind of stringing things along until something more solid comes up that could come up at any time so we just don't know but preview of two weeks from now that's going to be a really fun segment i think to revisit that jacksonville state game that miracle season and it's one you're going to want to hear as for this show and wrapping up for november 7th before we do bold predictions what else you got um i don't think kind of put me on the spot um that's what interviews are (laughs) (laughs) yeah well nice point there (laughs) uh what else i got how how the fantasy go? How the how's well? DK uh, Metcalf had two touchdowns last week, so it went pretty well. See, you shouldn't even. This is why you don't say anything at all. You just say, ah, you know, I think I'm good. Thanks yeah. for having me on and have a good week. Yeah, DK you know, Metcalf two touchdowns, yeah. five and zero oh last week in fantasy because of DK Metcalf. Yeah, I think I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate uh, appreciate you coming on. Uh, see you in call a week. Good luck. Yeah, appreciate it. Austin Herrick, offensive quality control coach, ETSU football, the legend, the myth, the gold statue on the third floor, joining us every week at this time on Santos and the Sidekick, back with bold predictions on the Buccaneers Sports Network. ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders. It's big boy football. The Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandos live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m., and if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have chicken wings and tater tots with coach, you can listen right here on AM640. All fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m. on the Sports Monster. Look, I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going to be the top quarterback in football this year. If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model system when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and Oakland and goes to New England and get released by New England and go to online college, you're crazy. The AAF is a juggernaut. It's only a matter of time before it overtakes the NFL. You really think the NFL and Roger Goodell is going to let Josh Gordon back in? I mean, it's obvious. Fletcher McGee is getting drafted, maybe even in the first round. No, 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 no. I've got plenty of sources more than you, Mike, in Knoxville. Rick Barnes is no way considering that UCLA job. Bold predictions. With a gigantic, gaping lead. Do you want to? I just want you to. Do you want to get more right? Absolutely. No, no. Uh, I just want to state that going back and going to the original predictions that you've cut out that I've said live, I should get a plus five for the Antonio Brown. That's all I'm saying. What are you talking about? Well, once again, you didn't listen to the tape that you've been playing all year, and you've been counting it as a negative. Right, well, I just listened to it. It's correct. 
it's five. Well, we just played the bumper. Let's play the bumper. Look, I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going to be the top quarterback in football this year. No, it's closer. If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model system when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and Oakland and goes to New England and get released by New England and go to online college. Oh, Boom! Got it! Got it! That's a five. Plus five. Where's the counter? Where's the counter? Plus five. Plus five. No, no, I need to hear it again. Plus five. No, no. You dub it in there. I don't even know how to use this. If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model system when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and Oakland and goes to New England and get released by New England and go to online college. What are you talking about? I nailed. Go ahead, that. say that again. Say it five times fast. Go ahead. I don't have to say it. I, you've got it on tape. I don't have to say it again. That it's clearly. I want to count. I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going Are to be the top quarterback in football this year. To say it again. If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model system when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and Oakland and goes to New England and get released by New England and go to online college. Go. I don't understand. Go. What do you want to take? Doesn't take? count. I don't understand the take. You are such a shyster. It's I don't know what you're talking about. I cannot even trust you at anything anymore. You might be dubbing over the bold predictions you've gotten right this year, which is only three. You should really be over 26 probably. You're three and 23. Uh, so hitting like, I don't know, a buck 20 or something like that. I've gotten six of my 27 right. I'm six and 21, doubling you up. And I'm quite sure I'm going to extend the streak this week. I have the honors. And you can go first. So the question is, you said if you get all right, how many points? In one week? Yeah. I think it was 10. So what if I did a parlay of seven? Of seven? Mm-hmm. Bold predictions? Seven bold predictions in one week. Seven, seven things have to happen to equal one W. If one thing doesn't happen, I've lost them all. Would that be your only bold prediction for the week, that parlay? It would. Wow, this is a, this is a head scratcher. Hitting seven things. You've got to be pretty confident about Do all of them have to be bold? All, I would say all will not be bold, but they'll still Well, at least all three of happen. them be bold. Since we have three bold predictions per week, I would I would assume three would be bold. You could, uh, I mean, I I'll let. You, what if I say it and you and you can veto? You let you mull on it for a second. All right, you go ahead. I'm going to write these down. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Say them slowly because I've got. To no, it's very easy. Okay. ETSU will win every game Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So that's now. Let, let, I don't know tennis or something may be playing, but I'm talking volleyball, which is the least bold, winning two road games. Men's soccer in the quarters and the semis, which would be a road semifinal game. True. Men's basketball, women's basketball, football. I guess saying that ETSU football would win on the road, considering they haven't won a conference game, would be bold. I suppose, even though Western Carolina has not been historically very good this year. ETSU's not been good at Western Carolina. True. If you look at the overall numbers. Men's soccer... Doubling down on them, they are the three seed, so it's not like it's a huge mismatch. Yeah, sure. The, 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 the two. Yeah, but the three six, you a little bit of favor there, but going, going to yeah, yeah on the road. Firing. Okay, yeah. women's basketball probably is facing an uphill battle considering Liberty's history, and and, and I would they're go, getting this key and green back. I'd so. go ETSU. Clearly, volleyball is going to be favored okay. by a lot against okay. Citadel. All right, I'm in. Okay, I'm in. So that's let me, let me just write this down again. It's two men's soccer. So on Friday, on on Friday, let's just do this. M- men's soccer has to win quarterfinal. Women's basketball today. It's all today. Yep. Women's basketball will be Liberty. Yeah. Okay. On Saturday, there's three of them. Or, or volleyball. I'm sorry, volleyball Friday at Citadel, right? Then volleyball Saturday, Wofford, if I'm not mistaken. ETSU wins at Western Carolina football. Wow. Men's basketball wins at UT Martin, and then. 
Wow. The semifinal game, ETSU beats Furman, the two seed. And you get 10 if you get those seven parlays correct. And if one's wrong, right. I'm, I'm just wrong. Okay. And that's I could go six and one and will look you genius. Show up, will you show up to the show on Monday if you I will be shirtless. Six of the seven. Uh, shirtless. Oh, no, no. If I had seven of seven, I was going to be shirtless. Okay, I was going to say. If you six six, of, six seven. of seven. No, I don't know. I may be. Oh, I may. I would, let me say this. I would probably be more dejected if it was six and one than, oh, yeah. than if I hit all seven. Right. If I hit all seven, I would, I would clearly, you're not going to get my head in the door. But six and one, I don't know what I would do. Oh, that would be bad. Oh, if it, it came down to like Sunday, too. Remember oh, we talked about with the Sunday. Chargers-Titans game about how the guy had an 11-game yeah. parlay or a 10-game parlay, and the last one was that Chargers-Titans game where they overturned the game-winning touchdown twice, <laughs> and then the mm. Chargers lost. That was for $58,000, though, yeah. so that's a little bit different. Anyway, well, I sit here. I may think of another one. Okay, uh, I've got three. I'll go through them quick since you did yours. I'm thinking four more sacks for ETSU's defense this weekend. Now, I tried to ask Randy Sanders on the coach's show. He didn't want to volunteer the information. Totally fine as the head coach. Uh, what's the status of Blake Bockrath? Tyree Robinson came in Cody, Jared Folks. Didn't get an answer. Totally fine. I think with or without them, it's going to be four sacks for ETSU's defense. I think they have 15 this year, but Western Carolina, as we talked about, has struggled up front this year. Players going to play the whole game this week, so that's good. Uh, I'm predicting, and this is my favorite one of the year, I think, for me, that the impossible, or what some may think the impossible is, a previous opponent for ETSU football, Shorter University, the Hawks, are going to going break dub? their 40 You're going to dub! Oh, I love it. losing okay. streak. They're playing Allen University this weekend from the NAIA, to be fair. The NAIA and Allen University just started their program in 2018. So they've only got two years of experience behind them. They do have two wins this year, though. And anytime you're talking about breaking a streak like that, has to be a bold prediction. 48 game losing streak from what I've seen, like the so you're second going, third longest in the history of college. So football. they're going to bring a lower division opponent in to break a 48 game losing streak. Bold prediction. I got to check with uh, Kevin Brown on this. <laughs> I'm going to check. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to table that when the first one's good. I'll table that. What's the third one? I think uh, over 350 combined rushing yards in the Dallas-Minnesota NFL game. Cowboys and Vikings. Oh, that's a good one. Cook, yeah. 350 yeah. or more. And that's bold because both defenses are allowing yeah. under 100 apiece. Yeah. No, no, no. I agree. That, that's a big number. So what am I going to do if you say that the second bowl prediction is no good? I mean. 48 games in a row. I mean. Allen University has two wins played two years. They're a lower division. I know. Ah. I am getting clarification. They're named on that after one. like Allen Houston. I mean, if they win know, by like forty, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, uh, come on. Okay, okay, okay. I mean, if they win by more than twenty, we'll call it a wash. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's okay. not a loss, but it's a wash. If they win in a tight game, that's a win. Twenty or less, I win. Twenty or more, it's a wash. Uh, up, up, up the schnod late, late second. If they lose, goal. then it's also a wash. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we got a lot to recap Monday. My goodness, we're in that uh, season. We'll talk basketball, basketball, football. Maybe how great we are at bowl predictions. Or how terrible we are. Either way. I didn't know if you'd go with mine. I thought it was brilliant. I like it. All right, Santos sidekick. Back next week. Back it. Of course, that'll work. See ya.